I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on the Craig Ferguson Fancy Rascal Tour, November 8th in The Factory in St. Louis, Missouri. November 9th, Victory Theater in Evansville, Indiana. November 11th, Hollywood Casino mm, at Charlestown Races in Charlestown, West Virginia. And finally, November the 12th, the National in Richmond, Virginia. Get your tickets at thecraigfergusonshow.com slash tour or don't get your tickets. I don't care, but I would like to see you. My name is Craig Ferguson. The name of this podcast is Joy. I talk to interesting people about what brings them happiness. Meet Kimball Musk. He's a chef, he's an entrepreneur, he's a member of the Musk family, and he really likes Burning Man. Have a listen to this. All right, who wants eggs? Uh, I want eggs. Okay, listen, here's the thing about you cooking eggs. Yeah. See, I, I'm a bit of an egg snob. Oh, you are. I you, am, I am you an egg snob. You don't know egg snobs until you've met Well, uh, here's, the, here's the thing, though. Do you have your own chickens? Well, we actually did. Right. But what we realized was that it was really a ra- raccoon feeding operation. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. We'd go out into the backyard and see our chickens and, uh, and count them and be like, well, I guess we're three down. Today, but that's okay. Raccoons eat we chickens. Fed three, we fed at least three raccoons. Uh, raccoons last night. So. Well, the the thing is about it, I have chickens in Scotland, and there's if you keep them in a little house uh, or next to your bed, chickens are the dirtiest animal in the world. Do you know that? But I am a big fan <laughs> of their <laughs> of their. Uh, no, chickens are actually pretty nasty, and they, they, they fight awful. you. They, they uh, well, also did you have a did you have a cock roll? I uh, know. Yeah, right. Okay, we have a cock roll. Uh, do you say, can you say cock? 
I think you, you can, can take talk. I, I no, probably I don't have I can to say uh, talk to you. But, <laughs> right. but I mean, I have you, to uh, be a little more thoughtful you? about. Uh, but I, I think, think I don't can. know what else me, you call it nowadays, right? Well, it's a it's a it's a cock. That's exactly. what I call. It. In fact, the slang word for penis came from a cockerel. I'm sure that's true. There we go. Anyway, that's not the same. So your, a, jo- your joy is food. That's what my life joy is food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not, not just food, but the fact that we're going to cook to get cook together, and eat together. It's like the most beautiful way to get to know people. And I've just been cooking since I was probably 11 years old. I had a mom who was wonderful, but she doesn't cook very well. Right. Uh, she, she went My out. mother couldn't cook either. That's and, and so, but she was also really cool about me going to the grocery store and getting whatever I want and cooking. You were doing that at 11 yeah. years old? You were 11, like, yeah. I, I'm going to go at the grocery store and get... Yeah, I would go... Uh, <laughs> she thought I was, she told me something was wrong with me. I'd go and I'd like smell the vegetables. And, yeah? You know, the... Do you still do that? Do you yeah, still, yeah, yeah. Nah, come on. I, I you don't do... A, uh, you, I have, do. you have a team of people that go out and buy... No, no, if I'm cooking, yeah. I, I, I like to go to either Whole Foods or the farmer's market because the quality of the, the food is... It's not just quality. You can get different varieties. Did you train as a chef? Yeah. So trained, that, uh, that's part of it then, isn't it? You go and... I didn't plan on doing a full professional cooking, but I ended up doing it. I uh, I started with a three-month program. It was just basic technique at the French Culinary Institute. Wow. Which is, uh, it's no, no longer around, but it was a, was a top school at the time. Right. In Manhattan. And um, in fact, I learned how to make scrambled eggs from... Uh, so chef, is this what you're going to make? You're going to make some scrambled eggs? The, the scrambled eggs for, right. and the, from Chef Alain Salter, who's just passed away. And, you know, they've got a team of I don't know, 50 chefs. But the scrambled eggs and the omelette, which is really the same recipe, right? Uh, that's done by the head of the school. Really? It's like that big a deal? That's, big, that's that big of a deal. See, because my son can make scrambled I can't really make scrambled eggs, but my youngest son, who's 12, can make uh, scrambled eggs. He's really good at it. Um, and they taught him it at school. I, I didn't know there was such an involved thing. I mean, it's I, it's I don't not think so much that in it's involved. It, it's actually very simple, but simple is the hardest. Right, okay. It's like cutting hair short. That's how you tell someone's a good barber. Cutting hair long, they can hide. Cutting hair short. Okay, exactly, you yeah, can't right. hide behind it. Exactly. Right, okay. So, you're going to make scrambled eggs. Now, let me ask you this. If you're trained as a chef, then, and I, ha- I would have asked Tony Bourdain the same thing. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, he, t- Tony Bourdain was, uh, one of the reasons I became a chef. Uh, his really? book, Kitchen Confidential, came out in the late nineties. And, uh, that's a great book. And I, I mean, it's a great book. It really is. One of the great, yeah. and, and it's of course about cooking, but it's great in every way. He was an extraordinary human. He was being, an extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary guy. Troubled guy, obviously. Sad, I feel so like, sad. I feel like chefs are though. Chefs, to me, are like I don't get that vibe from you, but I maybe a little bit because I, I think it, that a lot of people in general struggle. But if you go into the chef's world, it's a submarine culture. You are, you are, literally, your mind is completely taken up for twelve hours. You show up at, let's say, eleven a.m. You're right. usually working the, the dinner shift. You'll be done at 11 p.m. And if you have a troubled mind, nothing better. Yeah. Because you are not thinking about anything. So do you think that that's what uh, the troubled minds are, are called to it or troubled minds are caused by it? It's I a chicken and the egg scenario, in fact. Uh, what comes first, the troubled mind or the, or the desire to cook gives you a troubled mind? Because you're not. That's why I think about Tony Bourdain. This is what I was going to say. You're not fat. You're thin. And yeah. Tony was thin. Yeah. And a lot of chefs I know are thin. Like if I was a chef, I'd be like 500 pounds, I think. If you are, if you're really cooking in the kitchen, 
Yeah. It's like running a marathon every day. It's actually pretty hard to to gain weight. Just on your feet all the time and stuff. On your feet. I mean, I used to. I, I wear these little Fitbits and stuff. Right. Twelve miles a day. Really? In a kitchen? In a kitchen, and you're just moving two feet. And it's twelve miles, man. It's it's a uh, it's a lot of work. And if you're in, same with servers. Because you have now, you, how many restaurants do you have now? You have three. So we have three. We have the kitchen in Boulder, in Denver, and Chicago, and right. we're going to open one in Austin. That makes sense. Do you go in and do a shift in the kitchens there? I don't do it anymore. You know the 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 thing about it is it's it requires fitness right. to do that kind of uh, to do that kind of uh, twelve hours of cooking. Yeah. But then the other thing is it's it's a choreographed dance. It's a choreographed you're choreographed with your other chefs. Right. So you might do the the sauté where you might do um, the you know the protein. You might do right. the chicken or the fish, but you don't also you don't do the other parts of the dish. Right, and you're you're serving sometimes twenty or thirty people at the same time, and so you're holding in your head when that chicken needs to be done, and you you know that this plate needs to come from that. Right, chef. so you can't wander into someone else. So you else's can't just wander in and start yeah, cooking. Right. There's such a thing as staging where you can come in and they'll give you a, a, a. We'll do that with other chefs from around the country. The kitchen is well known for for its food, and and we the kitchen also started helped start the far, the farm to table movement. And it's got this beautiful history, and our and our chefs are talented, and so a lot of other restaurants will send their chefs to us. Right. And they it's called staging, where they actually come in and they try and help, but mostly they're just watching. Right. And then you know they they usually stage for a whole week, and then you start on Monday, and by Friday or Saturday you might be able to get in and join. Because you have a, it's kind of a philosophy for you. No, it's not just about cooking, right? Because you, I mean, I remember when we talked before about this. You know, years ago when we did that thing for uh, for Gant, yeah. You know that that those uh, couple thinkers yeah. thing. Oh, but, your wife, those also right. And when we we talk about food, like you were talking about the food deserts and the and the areas where people don't get uh, decent food, and they could. Yep. You know, it's just it's 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 not about economics. It's, uh, it's, it's about culturally a challenge. That's why we when we work at Big Green, we work. To educate everyone from, we used to work just in schools with kids, and now we're right. with the parents and, and work in their homes. And we work in community gardens, but you just want to get the education level up so that when they think about what they want to eat, they include fresh vegetables. But right. the fresh vegetables are available. Nothing is easily available in those communities. It's not like other than a you know Seven Eleven candy store, which right. is terrible. But the um, but if you do want to find fresh vegetables, you can do it. It can always be made easier. But if culturally you're not interested in it, I know. I think that's what it you is. Need, you, that's where the education comes in. Well, because it's also that, delicious. Well, that's why. Well, I think though, when it, like you go through an airport and you see like people in, the thing that bugs me is when I see people in cargo shorts. I don't know why it's always cargo shorts, but they're always in cargo shorts walking through the airport eating as they're walking to a plane. And I'm thinking there has to be a moment in life where you don't act. You you could either stop and eat or. I, I just don't believe everybody has to eat all the time. I think people graze. Yeah, uh, I, I know that I do that. I actually, the, one of the things, the reason I think I'm skinny is I don't graze. Right. I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Decent, proper breakfast, lunch, and dinner without trying too hard of what I should or shouldn't eat. And I maintain my weight. Right. I, I think, think if you snack all day, you've, it's actually, you've no idea how many calories you're putting in you. You could, you could even feel bad, like you haven't been eating enough. Right. And actually, you've taken in a ton of calories. 
Well, I, I got that when I went to rehab, when I was getting sober, the doctor that performed the, the thing said, yeah, I see a lot, a, a lot of this in alcoholics of your type. He said, is that you're overweight and you've got, uh, you're get a touch of malnutrition. You know, the, the, you're, you know, I was like, what? He went, yeah, well, you can't live on beer and. <laughs> I was going to say, how is that a surprise? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it was a surprise there. When I think it's so kind of weird because. See, I always thought of, when I grew up in Scotland, food was, uh, you know, it was terrible. The only good food around was... Yeah, I've been to Scotland. Uh, well, now, now it's changing. I was I mean, in the countryside. Right. The, well, countryside, the pubs are usually great. The I just, pubs are uh, usually I good. I did not like a one that was great. Yeah. The thing is, what happened with Scotland, particularly, I think, in the, the central belt, but up north too, there's a lot of immigration from other cultures. And other cultures' food really makes a difference. Like they would bring it, like at first it was the Italians, then the, the Pakistani and Indian communities and the uh, Eastern European communities, the Polish people coming into Glasgow and stuff like that. It's amazing the difference that if other communities bring in. Yeah, I love, I love that. In yeah. fact, London 20 years ago, it was just English food. It was yeah, just, that's right. It was and, then, and then they really, I don't know, I don't know how, because London's always been cosmopolitan, but somehow the the more ethnic communities sort of overflowed their their food culture into the rest of London. That's one of the best food cities in the world. Well, see, I think that's just the thing. It's a short period of time, right? And I think that's the thing that that uh, Tony Bourdain hit on very well when he was doing that show about experiencing the food from other cultures and getting to know other cultures and making them less mysterious and less frightening. Really, it's yeah. it's hard to. It's hard to hate someone, you know, or to be scared of someone or make someone the boogeyman if you kind of know what to eat and you've sat yeah, down. Right. Like you said, like you've sat down and you've literally I've, broken bread with them. Yeah, you, you, you break bread with people that are, that are culturally or, or, you know, I actually don't like this term diverse because to me, a diverse person is someone you sit down with and you, you want to break bread so you can get to know them. Right. Uh, I'm not a Trump supporter. And I will go sit with Trump supporters. Right. That to me is like, okay, now I've got some serious. Yeah. Uh, there's meat on that bone to, to go figure out. You know what right. I mean? Right. I think that's quite an interesting take on it because the, the whole idea right now, uh, you know, and I, you know, I was talking about with this last night when I was doing the show, which you very graciously came to and I that's made fun. some off color remarks about your brother, which was done in fun. But the, the idea of being, in contact and interacting with people you don't agree with seems to be wildly out of fashion. And I think the idea that when you talk about food makes sense to me because if you, you can sit down with someone you politically have nothing in common with, yep. but if you both are tasting something delicious, then at least you've got that in common and it's a starting off point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think the, uh, the, the, when you sit down with someone and you, you also have that kind of but let's say minimum one hour, maybe even longer right. with them. It, and it, and there's certain things that come in. You might even agree on the food that you like. And right. You might want to suggest something to someone else. That's universal. Yeah. You're right. Everybody does. Everybody it. does yeah, that. Yeah. And I, I always have this joke with, uh, if there's someone really important I want to meet, I invite them to lunch or dinner. Right. And you actually, though, you, you do that. You oh, seek out people that piss you off. Is that why you're food. making me eggs? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, but I would, I'll, you know, and I'll go out to lunch or dinner with them. And, and you know, when it comes to, you know, you're, you can be a little insecure about inviting someone that is maybe a celebrity or politician of a certain level. Right. And then I, actually, everyone's got to eat. 
Yeah. So we're just going to go eat. Right. And it takes the pressure off the, the meeting. It was a very good meeting in their office. That's like, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You're right. Um, and then it's, it's like you're focusing on the thing. So take it, let's go back to you early on when you were a kid. So this is in South Africa we're talking about when you were going um, to the, the stuff that I did, uh, when I talking to people, reaching out to have lunch and stuff was, was in my high school in, in Canada. Right. But the, um, but, uh, I started cooking for my family from about age 11. Re and you were the cook? I was the cook. Yeah. The, wow. the only cook. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. The, you know, my family's pretty busy family. Yeah, they, they um, they're 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 all they're, they're wonderful people, but um, just they just don't prioritize cooking. Right, and I love food. I love the, I love just even these scrambled eggs, which look different. amazing. By the way, you get you're getting a photograph of these scrambled <laughs> eggs, right? <laughs> but they look a little different, and uh, that's kind of the point. You know, you want it's never per it's never perfect. It's a right. thing, but scrambled eggs in particular are one of those things where. You can go, oh, I wonder how this is compares to the last one. And I wonder how tomorrow's will be. And, uh, it's, it's just kind of this never ending experiment. Now you said something to me about food years ago, which kind of stuck with me. Uh, it was a phrase you used. You said food is the new internet. Remember, you remember saying oh, yeah, that? Right. Yeah. Do you still feel that way that you still feel that there's a, a huge growth potential in? I mean, it actually has already happened. You know, that, that was a, that was, I started sharing that message maybe 10 years ago. And now, right. now back then getting locally grown food in your fridge was, was not a thing. I mean, you right. go to the farmer's market, but you have to be in a pretty wealthy community to do that. Right. Now you want to get locally grown food using vertical farms. Every grocery store uh, has it. It's true. Actually, you, I've noticed that even like the, the, the Borg like rise of whole foods across America, at least you can get good food. Yeah. You know, the, we, uh, but even now, like the Kroger's and the King Supers and yeah. the Albertsons, they're all, they're all doing it. I, Craig Ferguson, will be on the road once again this fall, bringing the Fancy Rascal Tour to your region. For tickets and full list of tour dates, go to my website, thecraigfergusonshow.com slash tour. Come and see me live or don't. I'm not your father. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, everybody has stuff that stresses them out and annoys them, and I'm no different from anybody else. For example, I get very irritated that people that wear shoes that look like feet. That's not a big deal, but it's a, it's a big deal to me. Obviously, there are much more important things to get worried about. Get them off your chest. When you keep them bottled up, it starts to affect you negatively. Now, therapy is a safe place to do that. That's what I did. And you figure out what's going on with you, work it through, and then let it go. Let it go, you see? That's what, I, that's what I think. I've done a lot of therapy, and I have to say I'm a very satisfied customer. If you think I'm kind of tense now, you should have seen me before I started. I'm actually, I really do recommend it. If you can do it, you should do it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I'd suggest giving better help a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with, you know, a licensed therapist, a proper one, and then you can switch your therapist at any time for no additional charge. I just think it's a good idea. Give it a shot. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash joypod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash joypod. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, 
we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where are you going? I'm just going to make sure that there's a table. We have All right, a great. Table well, we're going to eat out there? Yeah. Yeah. So when you're in the restaurant, then, do you sit down with the chef before you employ them and it's that they have to like embrace the philosophy of what you're talking about and that kind of thing. Well, we have a we have a team now of maybe 200 people. So uh, why don't crackers. you sit there and I'll sit here and All right. chat a little easily. This is lovely. Let me set a word picture of where we are because we're sitting in yeah, this pray, let me go get beautiful house in Colorado, which is like the you can see the Rocky Mountains and the sky. Kimball's just going to get some from the kitchen, so I'm just going to talk to you on my own for a bit. And it's very. A very nice swimming pool and the gentle sound of a leaf blower in the distance, which lets you know that you're in a rich guy neighborhood. I have to tell you, when I lived in Los Angeles, the leafs got blown more, I think, than Mick Jagger did in the 60s. They were... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, you're back. I didn't know if you'd heard that. But the... um, there's a lot of leaf blowers around. Is that little house down at the end there? Is that your property? That's our guest house, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, it's a little old house from the 60s that oh, we didn't change so it. Oh, it's so nice here. This is delicious, by the way. Wow, look at look at how beautiful that is. This is a different form of eggs. Yeah, so this is soft scrambled. Soft scrambled. And it's a very right, simple recipe, eat. classic French recipe. It's technique, not really that much to it, just salt, pepper, and a little bit of butter. So will you just like take them out of the pan earlier? Is that what you do? You turn it at a high heat. And then you, you, you really stir it until it kind of warms up and then you drop the heat down and you finish it for like 30 seconds. And then you actually take it out of the pan and you put it into a bowl and it'll continue to cook for another 30 seconds. It's kind of scientific, isn't it? Is it, it like, it, it, you like to, I, mean, I would say science and art. Like you're definitely dealing with the science of it, but the art of it means that every time you do it, it's a little different. Mm. I know it's not pleasant to be listening to something to eat, but this is really good. Oh my God. So do you bake? Um, I'm not the best baker. Cause I have a theory that people either cook or bake. They mm. don't do both. I will say that baking requires a personality to be, to be successful. 
that I don't have. What is, is that? You call it scientific, but it's more like chemistry. Right. Because you're dealing with um, subtle changes in in the the way the gluten works in the bread or the um, how, how a yeast might rise. And it's it's chemistry in that you're you get it you get it exactly right. It's perfect. It's wonderful. You get it one percent off, and you're like, well, who made this? Really? This is a this is terrible. Sounds a bit like aviation to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's you, like you don't want to crash a plane. There, there is, Pay attention. A, a little bit of. Uh, Do you like a coffee? I'd love a cup. Actually, I think there's a coffee right there. Can we we'll see that? Cup of the rabbit on it. Yeah, one of your guys made that. Oh, great. great. I'm gonna Thanks, grab one man. as well. Thank you. You gonna get your coffee? All right. I'll be right I'll talk back. To the, so anyway, I'm sitting in the backyard. I'm eating these. I'm not kidding. The best scrambled eggs I've ever tasted in my life. I mean, really, I kind of feel like I could get into this. I could like be a rich guy and sit around eating scrambled eggs that are kind of soft. So I feel like I'm kind of made for this. You know, eating a meat pie in Scotland doesn't hold the same allure right now. Although it has to be said for me, Kimmel's off doing something in the kitchen, but it has to be said for me, I enjoy a meat pie in Scotland sometimes. Um, I'm going to test the coffee now. That'll uh, give. I know this probably sounds really gross, but here we go. Oh my god, that coffee is really good. Uh, that's good. Hey, your coffee's pretty good. What you got there? This is a little Ooh, treat. Condiments. A little treat. Creme so don't finish your eggs. We can slow yeah, down. Yeah, I won't. No, I hard not to. <laughs> uh, creme fraiche. Creme fraiche, everybody, is French for fresh cream. I think. Um, I don't know, it's French, but it's from Vermont, which is French for Green Mountain, which my wife is from Vermont, and my company is called Green Mountain West because we were in California when we started it. It's not quite the same as uh, the Musk companies, but, you know, we make the occasional thing. Anyway, so anyway. this recipe is what I cook every morning, but... You have this every day? Every morning, yeah. Oh, my God. But once a year, I cook it at Burning Man. I wanted to talk to you about Burning <laughs> Man, because that is a source of joy for you. And it's completely, if you don't mind me saying so, I know that you'll explain it to me and I'll get it. But right now, it seems completely out of character for you. What? Well, I'm curious. What makes you think? Uh, well, what is I, the character of Burning Man? Well, <laughs> I don't know anything about Burning Man, so you're going to explain it to me. But what I, when I think about you, I think of someone who is organized and forward-thinking, methodical, business-like, and adult. These are not things that I think of about Burning Man. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So talk yeah, me through yeah. that. Oh, look at little, that. Little, little Crepe fresh on my eggs. Hold on, hold on. Again. Oh, not more? Again. What is that? A little caviar. Oh, man, I don't do caviar, but I will. You don't do caviar? Well, I've never liked it, but I'm going to try it. Well, this is the time. All right. I'll give you a little bit on the side. Right. So you can choose if you like it or not. Caviar, All right. Caviar on eggs. I'm going to do it. I hope that I don't like this so much because I don't have the kind of money <laughs> that means I can have this. For bread. This is like, so this is like eating raw goo. To be, to be clear, these are, these are not the very expensive kind. Oh, they're not? But, well, I'm not because, eating you know, you're mixing with scrambled eggs. You right, don't want to, okay. you want to go nuts with the, with it, but. Mm. You know what? Oh my God, that's pretty good. I guess. <laughs> <Pretty>. <laughs> oh my God. You. So when you make scrambled eggs at Burning Man, yeah. first of all, I have to know what's your attachment to Burning Man. When did you first go and why do you go? 
Yeah, Zion first went in 1998. Okay, that's real Burning Man. That's yeah, like, it's like real the yeah. old days. And um, you know, I um, didn't know what to expect. Frankly, I think no one knows what to expect ever. I've never been. It's so hard to describe. Mm. So I went there, and uh, I I camped next to this guy who kind of took care of us because we we weren't really prepared properly. It was my sister and my cousin and I, and we. Um, showed up with a cooler and maybe a tent and stuff. And you just, you need more infrastructure than that to have a, have a good time at Burning Man. So this guy was really large, uh, roly-poly, kind of Michelin man kind of guy. Was he wearing a shirt and no pants? Because no, that's what I think about No Burning shirt, Man. no yeah. pants. No shirt, no, totally naked. <laughs> really? And yeah, seriously. And, um, <laughs> and he had this roly-poly skin, like white, like very, very bright white. And he covered himself in zinc sunblock. But still took care of us, so we mm-hmm. were we were happy to to do it any way we want. But he still to this day has the best art piece I've ever seen at Burning Man in in now twenty five years. He had a water tank that he he'd get up, he'd put his water tank on in the back, and out of the water tank would come a post and a circle like a a, a, a metal tube, and he would walk around Burning Man and it, give people showers. But the catch was you had to be in the shower with him. Because okay. the curtain would be on that rod, and right. he would close the curtain, and you'd right. be inside the shower with this guy. You could not avoid rubbing against him if you wanted the shower. <laughs> and he was completely, um, okay, well, completely. Is, I think this is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> no, people volunteer to come in. Oh, you right. really want that shower? And it, it took me a few days to even imagine that I would ever want to get into that shower. Right. And I and I did at the end. I was like, you know, that's actually. You felt you, you just, really just stood the there shower, and he held right? the soap for me and. I was like, this is, it, it's, it's not just about the art, it's the experience of going out of your comfort zone that I just really fell in love with at Burning Man. Did, did you fall in love with him? Is that what you're telling me? That's right, exactly. He <laughs> did he get excited you, you were there? No. Okay. Okay. Nope. 100% just there to be in the shower with you. Right. What is Burning Man? Because you got to talk me through it. I imagine it is just like being a bunch of people who are zapped off their tits on some kind of you know, drug and going it's, crazy it's, in the it's, desert. It's not that it's not that easy to describe. It's like um the best way I've described Burning Man is do you do you like the beach? Have you yeah. been to the beach? Yeah of course. Yeah. But you go to the beach, it's hot, it's sunny, you know, there's a lot of sand. Some people don't like the beach. Right. Some people don't like the beach. But if someone had never seen the beach, would you say to them, Hey, you don't understand. Okay. So it's as diverse an experience it's as the beach? Diverse as the beach. Some people don't like it. Some people love it. It's what do you just, love about it? I like the, the, first of all, you get a break from all, all technology. So you're there. There's no internet. There's no phone. There's no sense of time. You wake up when you're, when you wake up, you go to bed when you want to go to bed, eat when you're hungry. You're, you, there's a lot of dancing, the beautiful ritual at the end of the week where you burn the man, which to me is made very meaningful because you kind of, Put the past behind you. Right. And it's a very powerful ceremony. Uh, about 80,000 people come around it and you do it in, in, in community. It's a, it's a really amazing experience. That's interesting to me. It, it, it feels like it has a, as you describe it, a sort of religious ceremonial feel to it. Does it? People have tried to call it that, but it's not that. It's more, it's more like, um, it's more like an ego death, which is not really spiritual. It's more like a, People talk about these things. You know, I actually broke my neck when I was in 2010. I was paralyzed for three days. It was oh my god! It was a complete. Um, 
At uh, Burning Man? No, no, no. no it's just uh, on a ski hill. Right. And um, you realize for, for several days that everything you've done up until now can't continue. It's just, it's just gone. You can't walk. You, it's, it's, it's just such a powerful and difficult uh, experience. And it turns out they, they healed me and I was able to function again. But uh, it took two years to, to get back to where I am. But thank goodness for Western medicine. No idea. Yeah, no, really incredible. But th but that experience, it, you kind of get a mini version of that every year at Burning Man, where whatever you did in the past is left behind, and you're burning it literally. It's it's the it's the ritual, and so I wouldn't call it religious. It's more like there's a spiritual element to it. It's more it's more more of a mind conscious uh, experience. Do you think you're? No, no, you think you? I mean, I can clearly you are someone who's drawn to. The spiritual nature of things, even even with food, are you a religious person? Do you have a dogma that you find attractive? Or I I've had enough experiences in my life to to really feel the presence of God, and I right. love that. I don't re I don't relate to any of the religions. Fairly recently, I have to say that I'm interested in being a Quaker. Hmm. What is that again? Uh, well, it's kind of like Burning Man for Protestants, I think. Oh, wow. It's, it's like. I, I wonder how the Protestants do it. Probably not well. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Quakers have no clergy. So I'm kind of fascinated by that. And Quaker friends, the meetings that they have, I don't know enough about it. So I'm kind of outside my, but they sit down like for an hour. And if someone wants to talk, they talk. And if no one wants to talk, they just sit for an hour and. That, I feel, would be very powerful. The older I get, the more fascinated I am with religion and spirituality. You know, it's a C.S. Lewis, who is a great Christian apologist, said that, you know, when you're young, it's easy to be an atheist and dismiss it all because death is a horseman three hills away. Right. Right. But when you hear the sound of the hoofbeats, you, you kind of, it starts to get your attention. And... I don't think I could say that I was, uh, I was drawn into church-like religion, but there's a bunch of people I've become fascinated with. Have you heard of, or have you, do you have any knowledge of the Desert Fathers, Origin of Alexandria, Evagrius of Pontus, St. Anthony? It was a group of pre-church Christians that lived in the desert in Egypt in the second and third centuries. They're fascinating. Not just fathers, there were uh, women doing it as well, which Christianity at that time was considered really outrageous because the Romans thought they were atheists because they only had one God. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Right, and they believed that uh, women had souls, yeah. uh, which was like this wildly feminist idea <laughs> <laughs> that women were people, which Christianity had, had, you know, I don't know the exact ins and outs of it, but it, it was much more egalitarian. And then when the Roman Empire took it over, and it's kind of like, you know what I think it is? Probably the way Burning Man is now. And once it's taken over by Starbucks. Yeah, and right, exactly. Amazon and you yeah. know what I mean? It's like then, it, I think that's what happens. One of the things that, that, that Burning Man has of women's principal ethos is decommodification, meaning that no Starbucks allowed, no sponsorships allowed, no... Right. Uh, People actually, uh, sorry, companies will support incredible art pieces out there, but it has to be anonymous. Right. And it is such an unusual way to do things in today's world that maybe there's some truth to that. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. 
The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You say that thing about ego death. And ego death is a fascinating concept for me. The idea of giving something, the myth of ownership. Like, you know, you've got a bit of money. I've got a bit of money. We both know the, the dirty secret about money. And anyone who doesn't have money doesn't know this dirty secret. And I've, I grew up with no money. I know that you, there were time in life and you didn't have any money. And the dirty secret about money is it doesn't do as much as you think it's going to do. Right. It's like it's it quite does, demoralizing how yeah, little power you get out of it. <laughs> it's like it's like it does some things. Yeah. Um I remember talking to you know Jim Carrey? Yeah, I don't know him, but I know right. him. He's a, he's wonderful. I did a I did a movie with Jim. Jim's like he's kind of like a a man in search of something. And he said he wishes everybody in the world could get everything they ever wanted, because then they would realize how much it doesn't work. Because he got right. everything he wanted, yeah. you know. And I think that the idea of I'm fascinated by your description of Burning Man because the idea of ego death or the myth of ownership. And that's actually a good point. In, in Burning Man, there is no ownership. Right. So if you, even if you created an art piece that no one knows it's yours, there's no recognition. Right. You can certainly stand next to it and tell people that's my art piece, but people don't do that. It's very right. hot and sunny out there. Even in, obviously if all the camps are, they're set up and taken down and there's leave no trace. 
So there, there is there is no ownership. What is the bringing. organizational structure of it then? How does it come together? Is it, there a it, board yeah. or a? Yeah, a, it's a fascinating organization. I'm actually on the board. It's an incredible. The people in 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 California that run it are an incredible group of people. That's I think created the most interesting, definitely the most interesting, but also probably the most awesome event in the world. Right. But they're only a group of say 100 people. The thing that makes Burning Man very special is. In addition to that, there, those hundred people organize ten thousand volunteers, right. and those ten thousand volunteers make up ten thousand of eighty thousand attendees. So they're both volunteers as well as attendees, and so you get this community-built city, literally the third biggest city in Nevada for one week of the year. In and they build it, and then they take it down. And it's it, fascinating. It's to me fascinating because, because it it feels like it would be difficult to have, or it would be a ripe environment for people to behave badly. It doesn't feel and like... Actually, the opposite happens. Uh, because you're in a, it's essentially a survival camp in, in, the, in the desert, you're dependent on everyone around you. You, you. you just can't survive by yourself. Right. And that creates a very different psychological relationship with the people around you where you're very nice to them. And I've had people join me over the years... Yeah, I should bring you sometime. You'll you'll have a blast. I am fascinated by well, it's it. One yeah. of my favorite things is to bring a virgin to to Burning Man where yeah. they've never been and they don't understand it. But the the people will actually ask me like, how is it that everyone is so friendly? It's so unusual at how friendly they are, and it's not just because they're being friendly to you because you're new or, or you don't really know what you're doing. They're being friendly to you because they they will need your help in some form. Right. It's funny because I, I feel like as you describe it, I I. I think to myself, I have a level of cynicism that would be, look, I get uncomfortable in the Midwest when people are friendly. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I wonder if, do you have to drop that cynicism in order to feel comfortable? Uh, there? It doesn't serve you to be cynical because uh, you're in survival camp. Right. So cynicism is a luxury. When you're like, I'm above everyone, I can, I can be cynical. Right. When you're in survival mode, you're, that's got to go. That's very interesting. So you bring yourself down to, it has to be a community that's against, I guess, the common enemy, if you like, is the environment, the, the, what you're working against. The dust, the heat. Is the, it very druggy? Is it very kind of? I think it's really whatever people want to do. Um, Cause uh, I don't do anything. I don't, yeah, I, I would don't say do whatever anything. people want to do. I think the, um, the use of psychedelics is very strong. I could imagine. Yeah. But alcohol is non-existent. Right. Cause it's, uh, cause it's a desert that you, you dehydrate. Yeah, you die. And you, yeah, you yeah. die with it. So. So I think that that uh, it's very sort of mind-expanding kind of uh, drugs or medicines if you take them, but you also don't need it because it's so overwhelming how much is going on. Yeah. And the other thing that is incredible is there's usually about 500 art pieces that that could range from the size of this coffee cup to the size of that tree, literally even bigger. It's just so incredible. And these are people who've gifted the art to the playa for that week, and they also have to take it down and remove it afterwards. One, one time, a 747 was deconstructed and rebuilt on the playa. That's awesome. I mean, it's just yeah. so, so yeah. The, the scale of things is just always, always beyond. But the, uh, the, the feeling of, of everyone gifting makes, turns it around on you in your own mind. You're like, oh, I wonder what I could, what gift could I bring? Right. And so the first time you come to Burning Man, you're usually not bringing a gift, but by the time you've left Burning Man, you're like, next time I come, I'm going to bring something. I'm going to bring my gift, whatever that is. It could, it could even like be spoken word poetry. You don't have to bring something physical, but, but you're going to bring something. It's hard to, hard to come back to Burning Man and not be a participant with a gift. What about the advent of social media? 
Is it, does that affect it? It doesn't affect it as much because you don't have internet connection. Right. So, but people will still be recording things, which oh, they can sure. post yeah, later. Yeah, they do. But it's, I think there's something about social media that, that it's all about current events. Uh, or at least this is what I'm doing today. Not a, not right. a particularly interesting event, but if you, if you go to Burning Man and you come back and a week later, you've got some videos you want to post. Right. Sure. Post them. But you're not in the moment, you know. There's no adrenaline around it. There's no like endorphins from getting likes or whatever, because it's it just takes a long time also to recover from Burning Man. It's quite an intense experience. It just doesn't match social media. But what about if a situation where if you're there and uh, you're you're well known, people know sure. who you are. I'm well known, people know who I am. If I'm there, like walking around naked with a shower curtain on, yeah, so I can get right. people like I feel like that would. That might well, get out. Um, no Look, one, I'm not saying I'm going to do no it. No one I, really I totally do it, but I'm not going to. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone pull out their phone at Burning Man. Right. It's a pretty big statement. Like I was at the Taylor Swift concert, and everyone's watching through their phone. Yeah, I know. And you're like, okay, I get it. They want to record it for some posterity or some reason. At Burning Man, yeah, you know, that's just the weirdest thing you can imagine. Now let's talk about the phones a little bit and recording let's, it. Maybe let's, would you like some water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would actually. It'd be lovely. I'm just back here again with my eggs. I'm going to actually, finally, I'm just going to steal a few more eggs. Because I swear to God, rich guy eggs are the best eggs I've ever tasted in my life. It's a whole different, like, eggs like this and Denny's just don't exist. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. It's like burning manners in my mouth. It's delicious. I'm not kidding. Hey, man. Oh, thanks. Is this special water or just water from the faucet? Um, it is uh, from the tap, but a little filtering in it. <laughs> Nothing ah, super lovely. special about it. A little it. bit of caviar. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So, when you were at the Taylor Swift concert, people were recording yep. through the pond. I, in a slightly different experience, but still an amazing thing to go and see, was at the, uh, the exhibition of Van Gogh's Cypresses at the Met last week. And in the exhibition of Van Gogh's Cypresses is the Starry Starry Night, the, the Starry Night, the, not Starry Starry Night, that's a song, but Starry Night, the Van Gogh, very, very, very famous Van Gogh painting of the, and looking at the painting, it's a remarkable piece of art, it's an unbelievable piece of art, but as I'm sure a Taylor Swift concert is, but you have to time how you see it to not see it through the screens of other people's phones as they hold. Oh, interesting. You know, they now, they allow that in Right. In the they museum, allow yeah. that in there. And I feel like what we are in danger of losing, and it's interesting that you describe Burning Man the way you do, because it, I feel like it plays in a little bit. I think we're in danger of losing analog biological memories. Yeah. Uh, that we record things like we don't have the capacity to do it for yeah. ourselves. That seems weird to me. I'm perfectly capable of looking at a thing. Yeah. And I, I wonder if something is lost by recording it as opposed to remembering it. Um, I, I really do believe that. I obviously don't, I don't share, the, most people don't share that, that view. Right. But, but I love enjoying the Taylor Swift concert and being in the moment with her music. Right. And adding my phone reduces that. I agree. The perfect, perfect experience. Actually, in fact, when, when I was at your show last night, I was relieved to see that no phones were allowed. Yeah. And, um, in my he, game, you got to ban the phones. But, but you might have a reason because you don't want that content, that jokes to be shared elsewhere. Right. Or things. That is but, it. But yeah. let's imagine they weren't doing that. They yeah. were just watching your show with the phone so right. they could record it for their own personal posterity. Right. 
It would it would dampen the laughter by half at least. Totally, because like if I do a stand up show, usually this happens in the bigger venues. Like Boulder Theater isn't one of those, but if you if I'm doing in like a casino or a bigger venue, which is like you know five thousand, ten thousand people, they put big screens up at the side so that everybody gets a good view. But the nature of how these screens work, I speak into a microphone, and a fraction of a second later. The joke is delivered on, and it's, it's kind of misses the beat. So all the timing is different. Yeah. You have to time, like when you're playing big venues with screens, you have to time it differently. Yeah, because nobody looks at you. You're just a tiny little figure, right? On exactly. They all look at the giant close-up of your face. Yeah, you're, you're almost watching yourself, right? And timing yourself to that screen. But here's an interesting thing. So there's a. I'm at the Met the other day. It's just it was. It feels to me like this plays into your Burning Man thing, just as we talk about it, or maybe there's something magical in the eggs. When I was in the Met, I, there was a there's a painting by Pissarro called uh, I think it's called Montmartre Street on a Winter's Day. It's not a particularly famous painting, but it's a very famous artist. And he's a French impressionist or a post impressionist, I can't remember. But it's a painting of a street in Paris on a winter's day, and it's just everybody in it. And if you looked at that a reproduction of that painting, it would do you go that's pretty, but when you stand next to the painting, mm. it has an energy and a power. Feel which, the history, feel the... You can smell the cold air yeah. in the street. It's this weirdest thing. And I wonder, I find myself drifting, maybe it's my age, but I find myself drifting to analog experiences as much as possible because I find... I don't know if it's an age thing. I think it's a, there's a certain, there's a very strong culture, let's say the world, but it's definitely in America where people use their phones a lot. But at Burning Man, which is a, which is a all ages kind of thing. Right. No one uses their phones at all, no matter what your age is. And what I actually find amazing is people walk around with notebooks. Oh, that's And they write, I mean, it's, I have a notebook, I write, but that's very, very unusual. Mm. And uh, maybe once or twice a week, in, a, in that week, someone will come up to me and say, would you write something in my notebook? That's and I, I find that experience quite, yeah. and then you're like, whoa, I've got to be vulnerable. And it's more of a, mm. it's a culture of being vulnerable, drawing out vulnerability, it's the exact opposite of recording something on a phone. There are people out there of any age that are appreciating the analog experience. I think especially because of COVID. I mean, what happened in COVID, yeah, we lost most of our analog experiences. And uh, one of the things that we did as a gathering, because I, I love connecting with people, I was, COVID couldn't have been worse for me. We would get together sometimes every Sunday, maybe every second Sunday, and we would just... Uh, come outside in the mountains of, of, of Colorado, pretty safe. No one ever got COVID through this. And we would just get together for, you mentioned the Quaker thing. We got together for about an hour mm. and people could just sing a song. They could play a song for people to dance to. And it was uh, completely analog. It was this uh, appreciation during COVID that we love the analog experience. We, yeah. we, we live and thrive by it. Yeah. Like why go to the Taylor Swift concert at all if you purely want the digital experience? Right. Uh, and you see people there in community. There, there is definitely a very strong um, style guide, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better word. Everyone's wearing pink tutus and 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 silver <laughs> silver cowboy hats. But the uh, that is the community. That is the analog experience. And I think young people love it. it uh, I think the addition of the phone. I don't get it, but hopefully they still love that analog experience. I wonder if human memory is changing though, because. You know, the, the technology is added to the evolutionary experience of human beings. So the, the, you know, the print and press is invented. You can't uninvent it. You know, the, yeah. the, 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 the phone is here. It's not going. As I age, I find my memory colors 
my experiences. It, it will take an experience which is unpleasant and negate the unpleasant effects of it. It will take a, you know, like a. I'm going to learn something from you. <laughs> well, it, it, it is a, it is a, a thing to, to learn. I you, mean, you it, learn to take it in stride. Right. I mean, I, 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 do we lose the ability to, because if you look at, you know, what is lazily called cancel culture, but if you look at the reaction of people, uh, which is visceral and permanent, that seems quite machine like to me. Like, for example, everyone in their life has probably had, I certainly have had, unhappy love affairs. At the time, the pain was intense. But I can look back at that, the way I look back at physical scars in my body, and though the pain was intense at the time, I have a kind of sweetness and yeah. a fondness to what happened. I mean, I, I had to go through cancel culture once. Uh, it was just right, right when COVID happened. So right. middle of March, you know, I'm Musk last name and stuff. Uh, right. We had to close our restaurants because of COVID. Right. Government shutdown. Right. But we closed our uh, restaurants three days before the government ordered us to shut down. We just right. saw it all happening. It was a Monday. Let's just close for the week. Right. We closed. We don't show when to reopen. And uh, and I have a lot of empathy for our team, and we did everything we could to, to help them out. But for those three days, the Twitter sphere or the the they, they everyone was trying to cancel me for right. for closing my restaurants. And then there was a national security order, maybe a national emergency on the Friday. So it was four days mm. of feeling it. And then by Friday, everyone's like, oh, I, we get it. You were just a couple of days ahead. It's like, yeah, that's not okay. Mm. I'm a very empathetic human and I, and I, I care know. a lot about my people. Mm. And to get canceled, people were just so eager to jump on something to cancel. And that's not healthy. No, I think that that's right. And I, that's what fascinates me about your description of Burning Man, because we... Come to a point, I feel like you're, and I know you enough to know your love of food, your love of these community events, your strive for empathy, right? That I feel like we are in danger of losing something, something very precious. And we don't have to lose it. But I think the discussion has to be about, and it's weird because it ties in to all this Judeo-Christian stuff, but you have to find uh, a form of forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, forgiveness, by the way, I think is, it's for the forgiver. Yeah. You're benefiting always, yourself. Always. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah, person yeah. you're trying to forgive probably doesn't even understand what you're forgiving them right. for. Right. <laughs> what you're doing is you are saying to yourself, I'm going to let this go. Yeah. And yeah, okay, you're forgiving the person. You might have an attachment to that person and maybe it helps you process that psych psychologically. But the person you're helping is yourself. Yeah, it's that whole idea of resentment being drinking poison and hoping somebody else will die. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the thing. Kimball, uh, this was delicious. Not just the food, but the experience. And it's always a joy for me. It's always great. Right. I love hanging out with you and uh, love your comedy as well. Well, so thank, thank you. you. And I'm sorry I made a joke about Elon last night. Oh, that was good. Mark I, and Zach in a cage match. Right. It, well, we, needed, we needed an audience that found that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think they did. But my standards are lower than yours. Just so everybody knows, the joke I made about Elon was, and it wasn't really a joke. I just said that not many people know that Elon was the sun baby in Teletubbies. That's it was just a remark. And the truth is, he was. <laughs> Your move, Internet. Kimball, it's a joy. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
It's a simple truth, no matter who you are, that mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.